Welcome back to The Q-Files. Imagine it is a dark, starless, still, and quiet night. And suddenly, as you are staring up at the sky, you see an astounding sight. Five unusual orange lights in the sky. They hover without explanation for a while, and then, at the speed of light, disappear, one by one. You take a deep breath and calm yourself, and then you realize you have just seen an unidentified flying object, a UFO. I am guessing that most people who are listening to the show about the paranormal have more than likely experienced something like what I have just described. Maybe it was a UFO, or a ghost, or even Bigfoot. You're excited and confused, and your first inclination is to share it, to share it with everyone. But you quickly realize that you are met with disbelief. Well, at least some of us are. Chris Blake's article in TerraObscure.net, The Pattern and the Phenomenon, When Persons of Color See UFOs, has caused quite a stir in the paranormal community. Shane and I were both fascinated and disturbed by Blake's article. And so we invited him to talk with us about his ideas all the way from Switzerland. Blake believes that it is not only what we see that causes skepticism, but whether or not we are believed is determined by the very nature of who we are. Hello, Chris. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, how's Switzerland? Yeah, it's okay. You know, I was just in South Carolina where it was uh, relatively warm and sunny, and that's not what you get in Zurich this time of year. But it has its pluses too. So, I'll bet it does. Actually, we don't get that in Ohio this time of year either. But it's 68 degrees here today, so <laughs> we're enjoying oh, a little, yeah, a little bit of a reprieve from the winter. So, um, I just wanted to say thanks so very much for for joining us. Uh, Shane and I were both. Uh, fascinated and disturbed by your article. And I do want to say at the outset that we're both white with privilege. And although we are both queer and have suffered some degree of marginalization, it does not compare with the experience of African-Americans in America. So I just wanted you to know who we are and and that we respect um, uh, sort of uh, our position and um, our perspective on this and everybody understand where we're coming from too. Fair enough, and I, I think that you know it, it is not a contest amongst those who are receiving degrees of discrimination, but certainly uh, I think you probably have more uh, issues that are similar to what I face than you, you're willing to say, but I appreciate it. Well, and that may be true. I think at least it gives us some, uh, at least a level of empathy to understand uh, what what you're saying. Uh, so you begin the essay uh, with a conversation between your religious, very no-nonsense father, a Southern black man, about your belief that you witnessed a UFO. And you, he said, I believe you. Anything is possible. Um, you did not have that kind of reaction from many others, particularly white people, and especially the religious-minded. And such is the topic of your essay. Uh, the relationship between what you call the phenomena and the pattern using the lens of race to explain this conundrum. So can you first define for our listeners who might not have yet read your article what the phenomena and the pattern mean in context to your conclusions? Sure. Uh, the phenomenon 
specifically for what I witness is involving UFOs. It is when you are witnessing or experiencing something that is outside of what your expectations are or what you have actually, you know, normally would believe is not even possible. I was I saw UFOs, but I would include in this, you know, speaking of it brought more broadly, it could be all sorts of quote paranormal unquote experiences, ghosts or whatever else. But specifically for me, it was UFOs. And the pattern is just that you sort of alluded to it uh, at the beginning of our conversation. The pattern is just if you are a person of color, you will you are going to experience various degrees of discrimination depending on where you are and who you are dealing with. And that pattern specifically to this issue is whether you are believed when you're trying to tell people what you saw. You're not saying, or at least I'm not saying I saw a UFO. I am saying I saw something that I don't know what it was, which would classically be defined as a UFO. And the pattern is that people of color, I think, tend to be less likely to be believed, particularly when they're speaking to someone who is white, to be blunt. That's the pattern. It's a broader issue in society, but that's how it manifests itself when you're talking about paranormal experiences, in this case, UFOs. And I think that what's, that is one of the things that makes your article so, um, you know, kind of shocking in a way. And I found my response to it very interesting. Of course, I understand the systemic racism, particularly in America. And I had just never thought about it in terms of belief in what particularly people of color witness and whether or not they're believed. It just, it just sort of opened my eyes to, yes, I understand racism. And now in the paranormal world, it's hard enough to be believed. Um, but to, you know, as a person of color, that disbelief is part of everyday life where like, whether it's a traffic stop with a, with a cop or you're witnessing something that happens, it's been very clearly demonstrated in the history of this country that black witnesses are not believed. So I think you're really bringing to light, as you said, the larger issue in the community, but it's very powerful. Um, so talk a little bit about uh, your response to your father, like I said, no nonsense, a religious man, um, believing you and, and that impact that had upon you. Well, in the moment, you know, it's, it's my father and it's it's just you don't think as much about it in that moment because it's your father and you would hope to be believed but when i look back on it i realized my expectation was not that i would be believed and over time i have cherished that uh belief that he had in in what i was telling him even more because you do go out into the world and you are trying (laughs) me like so many others when you see something you can't explain that makes no sense to within your uh, paradigm of belief, you're looking for answers. And one way of trying to find those answers is to try to have conversations with people. And more often than not, people simply are thinking that you are either making it up or you were, you just missed, you know, there was something going on with you psychologically, whatever it might be. So the more I move away from that moment, my father believing in, in, in what I told him is a, is a great validation. And frankly, not just with him, but with anyone who I converse with, uh, especially if they themselves have never had what 
would be defined or called a paranormal experience. And so, because when some when, when some when this happens to someone, whether it's being seeing a UFO or seeing something else that they can't explain, of course their mind is going to be more open. Although mm-hmm. even there, I think it's still more likely to be uh, believed. You're still more likely to be believed when you're speaking to someone who is of color, and that's uh, that's unfortunate. Well, I find it particularly interesting because your father being <clears throat> obviously older and and uh, living in the South uh, his whole life, he must have been very acquainted with the notion um, that I can imagine his words, particularly uh, in talking to white people, he must be familiar with, with the concept of, you know, knowing he, he, he very possibly will not be believed. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you hear growing up, you, you hear all sorts of stories that, you know, looking back now, they sort of boggle my mind and they do revolve around being in the wrong place at the wrong time, avoiding certain situations simply because you won't be believed. And I mean, it, you know, Emmett Till is such a it's almost like a shadow uh, over the modern South, although I think the modern South is very different from what it once was, but that is still there. And my father was coming of age during that whole era, and there were just certain things that you didn't, certain situations you didn't get in simply because you might not be believed. And it could be a matter of life or death. Um, not good, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, he, he would have known, not just him, but people of his generation and many others will have known that it's a two-way thing. One is you're not likely to be believed about things that are of this world, and then there are things that you might think are a whole whole different experience. And they are accepted, many of these things, in the African-American community, but you also aren't going to be believed about those things either. So certain things you don't talk about and certain things, situations you don't allow yourself to be put into. Absolutely. And I'm going to quote this uh, piece, this part of your article, which I think is 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 really profound. Um, you say, however, in this point is critical. I think blacks and other persons of color already exist in an almost constant state of amazement. We must make our way in a practically alternative reality where we are continually shocked on varying levels of our experience. And that same experience is habitually called into question by a variant of the pattern well beyond anything to do with the phenomenon. So I think this goes to the very nature of possibly persons of color being more apt to believe in exceptional events because you exist in a state already. You know, horrible things happen that are absolutely unimaginable and have happened. So this something that that happens that's been previously unimaginable is is not such a different world uh to people of color absolutely as i say in the article these experiences of of being who you are in the world that you must live in it does open the mind because i mean it, it when i when i talk about just everyday experiences with certain people, they will not believe these things. So I'm most likely not to talk about them unless I'm asked about them. But they make no sense. You know, people really are acting and behaving in ways that people who don't feel that way can't believe. But I experience it and people who look like me experience it. So, yes, it does open your mind. 
you're always in a feeling like you're sort of walking in a parallel existence. And it's not that far of a leap for, you know, something that would be called paranormal by someone by, you know, the. I don't really like that term, to be honest, for a lot of reasons we won't get into, but it would be considered a paranormal experience. But for the person who's already living in a world that people don't think they're living in, it's not that big of a leap. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and you know, in, in reading your article and over the last couple of weeks, uh, musing about it, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big reader. I, I, <laughs> most of my life is about reading. And what you just said struck me because if you look at uh, Colson Whitehead's The Underground Railroad, this is the Pulitzer Prize winning book from a couple of years ago. Um, it, it was basically telling the history of uh, uh, Black Americans, particularly the last century, in the form of a parallel universe almost. So, you know, we have a literary projection of exactly what you're talking about. I always like to say that Toni Morrison's Beloved is really just a ghost story. So what I see in, in a lot of my reading is, is a projection of what you're saying in Black folklore and the uh, African African-American literary tradition, we see a real propensity of magical realism. And I think what what you're saying is that if that's really a reflection of the life experience in particularly this country of African-Americans. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is almost as though the reality that becomes distorted. A lot of that distortion ah. is, is ugly. It is not pleasant. And you know, and it's not just a historical fact either. I mean, there, you know, the, these these experiences morph in the ways that that they happen. But yeah, they're as real to the people who live these li- these lives, including myself, and obviously many, many, many others. Not only me, but they're as real to us as real can be. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that someone who is in a different set of shoes, a different, you know, different life path, different in whatever, it, it can be completely, completely uh, foreign to them. I mean, yeah. I, and that's something I always have to have sympathy with as well. I mean, it really, I'm not so sure that I would believe some of the things that I have experienced personally, whether they were, quote, paranormal or just everyday, uh, I don't know, discrimination or racism. I'm not so sure I would believe those things had I never seen them. So, you know, it sort of goes both ways, but I can only walk in my shoes. And I know that uh, the African-American experience is full of magic. It just is. And yeah, yeah. But, but, but what I saw, you know, what I saw quite unexpectedly was is not what is typically in that experience. Of course, I was all the way over here in Switzerland when it happened, but I don't think that has <laughs> anything to do with it. Uh, but right. Anyway, sky is the sky everywhere. Yeah, but, exactly. But, you know, but um, I, I, I grew where I grew up, uh, you know, I had a neighbor who was a, quote, root worker and no one doubted it. And supposedly she put a, quote, spell on a neighbor who she had a falling out with. And terrible things happened to this woman. Yeah. You know, the woman who was the victim of the spell. But I can't prove that's what caused it. But I do think. We manifest certain things in our own experiences, and belief is a part of what we manifest. And and it goes back to that word belief. And one of the things that you talk about in your article is let's throw these names out there 
Poolside Pete, Barbecue Becky, Permit Patty, Corner Store Carolyn. These are white witnesses generally calling the police about African Americans. And when they make that call specifically to the police, they are assuming, and very correctly, that not only will they be believed in the report, but they will be believed over any black witnesses at the scene. And, you know, this goes right to the heart of what you're talking about. Their words, more than likely, at least to get police there, are not even questioned as to their veracity. Absolutely. Um, because when you, when you look at some of these stories uh, that are behind, and I invite the listener to, to do that, when you look at some of the stories behind what created these names, uh, and, and, you know, in some cases, viral videos, yeah, they are, you, you, you have to have a certain degree of hubris or a certain degree of comfort to make the leaps of assumptions that these characters are already making, but they are empowered by a system, and it is the police are just the front edge of that. It is also the legal system. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that that allow people to behave that way. They are more likely to be believed and they will be believed on scant evidence. Yeah. The one thing yeah. that uh, has kind of uh, pushed this a little bit into the uh, social, you know, the wider uh, social media arena, obviously, is just cell phones. People record stuff and yeah. it, 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 can ru- it can ruin it can ruin some of these uh some of these characters' lives, and no one wants that either. But on the other hand, but for video, but for that, I don't know that, you know, they may have gotten away with some of these things. Because, again, That's as ex- you're saying, yeah, the black, the, the person of color is not going to be believed. And it takes a video of the event for them to be believed. I mean, that kind of evidence. And, you know, this brings us to the idea, and I... I you know, your article has just brought the, this issue of belief right to the forefront. And then that makes me think about, of course, and as, as we've talked before, the Supreme Court and, and the sort of um, um, constitutional law in that jury selection, why it's so important to have a jury um, that is diverse and certainly a jury that includes you know, a representation of the person on trial. And that becomes really evident. Um, it, it was evident to begin with, but even more so with uh, your article bringing this issue of belief right to the surface. Yeah, uh, I mean, I am a lawyer. Um, you know, I've done it for many, many years, although I haven't been involved with litigation, uh, the litigation side of law for a very long time. I'm more a corporate lawyer uh, for a while now. But yes, there is a specific reason why uh, the uh, president is wanting there to be, as you said, a diverse jury. People do have a propensity to believe people who look like them more than than they do people who don't look like them, and that's unfortunate. And and you know, persons of color are going to be the, they're going to do the we're going to do the same thing, whether it's subconscious or not. I don't think that you can make the argument that the effect on society is as negative when persons of color are doing this for a number of reasons, but nevertheless, it's still something that's likely to happen. And the the rationale for that is something that you see, you know, in in situations like what I'm talking about. You simply are less likely to be believed by a person who does not look like you. And I just... I guess naively somehow thought that when we were talking, when you're talking about something that's just so unusual 
as what I saw, not just me, many people seen more spectacular things than what I have seen, but you know, it had an effect on me. And it was only over time that I realized, you know, even here, even here, race matters. And it surprised me. And I'm ashamed to say it surprised me because my eyes should be more open than that. And I think it's fair to assume, and I, again, one of the reasons I think your article so um, took Shane and I aback was that, you know, I, and this is so wrong, but another assumption, particularly of white people, you know, thinking that somehow the paranormal was a race neutral sort of world. And, you know, as a reminder is there's no part of our world that is race neutral. No, yeah, this is, this is exactly the case. Now, I, I do talk about, and I think I've even said earlier in our conversation, when someone has uh, seen someone themselves, I mean, really seeing something that has profoundly affected them, they are going to be open to talking to just about anyone about it, <laughs> you know, and they won't mm-hmm. care what they look mm-hmm. like or where they came from. They are going to want to know very urgently in a way that people who have not seen something cannot understand. They are urgently going to want to know what did I see? Am I going to know in what we call this lifetime what that was? It becomes extremely yes. important. And uh, and you become oddballs, and your and your odd your oddballs linked by not color or or, or race or religion just right. by experience, but once, just but by odd oddballity, <laughs> right? Exactly, right. exactly. It, but if you've not had that experience, yeah, you're more likely to just whatever that experience might be can manifest it, itself in many ways. But if you haven't had that, you're going to be pretty much falling into the slots that society fit you into, and that includes. You know, not believe in people who don't look like you, even if you don't realize you're doing it. Correct. Correct. Uh, that bias that is not necessarily uh, uh, conscious. Um, so uh, one of the things we talked about earlier with our earlier conversation is that so you're, you're less likely now to tell people, of course, about what you saw because of the response. You also mentioned that in traveling from the United States to Switzerland, you went through a rather, you know, horrible time. Uh, with TSA and and getting on planes that you said you're so apt not to talk about also because you're getting the same level of disbelief about your um, seeing a UFO that you're getting about, you know, your experience in in traveling internationally as a black man. Yes. um, And I mean, it was, I, it was in Switzerland. It was in the U S it was in Canada where I connected through. um, And since we last spoke, you know, I've, I've been in touch with a lot of people whom I had not seen for some weeks because we were all on break. But these these situations, these incidents will leak into conversations, even if your intent is not to have, not to have these discussions for the reasons right. you just said. But, yeah, the, re- the responses, yeah, maybe you're exaggerating or maybe you misunderstood. And that's just I know that already. So I know I should yeah. not go there. But I just... You know, how was your trip? You just tend to start talking about it. The trip itself was fantastic, but wow, were they aggressive in customs or, or in a TSA or whatever? And yeah, and then when you look at who is getting the special screening, you will have a certain look about you. You just will. <laughs> and that's right. And you is. said, like, even in Switzerland, that's right. That's right. There's no place that's race neutral. No place. Absolutely not. It can manifest in different ways. And, uh, you know, I always talk about, you know, I'm very enamored of my native South. 
Uh, I've lived on the West Coast some years ago for uh, a while, and I think the South is extremely ahead in a lot of ways uh, when it comes to race. So what you will experience there would be different than what you would experience in Switzerland or in the UK or whatever. But, you know, we're all just human beings and generally flawed. I'm not, and, yeah. and, and one of the ways that this, the flaw shows itself is just we, 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 we don't deal well with people who don't look like ourselves. We just don't, which is incredible yeah. considering how long, you know, societies have existed and interacted with each other. But yeah. Yeah, we've had a lot of practice at it. You'd think we'd finally start to get it sooner or later. I mean, really. Exactly. Which but, actually. But just, I was going to say, but just that's just it. You know, one of the things I realized when I lived on the West Coast, uh, having just recently moved from the South, it was my first time living outside the South, was, wow, just having that practice, meaning a large percentage of Black being a part of the population, it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, majority and the minority. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, which sort of brings me to, you know, Shane and I, in our last couple of podcasts, were pretty fascinated by this, this idea of, you know, when you're talking about primarily often, and we've experienced this, you're, you're not believed particularly by um, religious uh, people. And, you know, our, our, what we've been saying lately is religious white people officially celebrate paranormal events that are the very foundation of Christianity and Judaism and holidays, Christmas, Easter, Passover, Hanukkah. These are, these are so robustly paranormal events. So why do you think people with a religious tradition based on paranormal events are the least likely to believe a report of modern, you know, paranormal from actually both white and black witnesses? Yeah, I mean, uh, basically, it, it, it would appear that people who are super religious, and I don't want you to overuse the term evangelical because the person can be extremely religious from different perspectives, but I will talk about evangelicals because that's whom I grew up with and whom I know best. Mm -hmm. They view these things as being demonic. It, it, and and ah. that is something that uh, has been talked about in some of the government uh, research that has happened. We're learning more about the government has sometimes, the U.S. government, I mean, has sometimes yeah. uh, spent money looking into some of these topics. And there has been pushback at high levels, apparently, because there are believers who think that you open doors to things we don't want in our world because they are wow. being demonic. And I uh, may have mentioned before, uh, but there was a person who, uh, that I met on my flight, one of my flights coming back to Switzerland, and she's Eastern Orthodox. And uh, she has, and we got into conversations. She was also a, a, a journalist, which I do in my private life, have done for years some writing in my private life. And she had no doubt that I had had this experience, which was very <laughs> welcoming, but she also had no doubt that it was a demonic experience. And, oh, wow. Uh, so she wow. had some suggestions about how I might want to protect myself because now she said, I, she, she actually said to me she had never met someone who claimed to have seen uh, unidentified flying objects, but now she knows that de demons can uh, make their appearance in our world that way too because she does believe I saw it. I saw they must be, they must be demons. Wow. So, yeah, you know, I mean, so you're finally believed. <laughs> You're finally believed, <laughs> and the conclusion is it's demons. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and ironic thing is, is you know, uh, maybe we all do it to some degree, but an evangelical. She's she's East, she was a very religious Eastern Orthodox person from Macedonia. But the people whom I know best, they will back home, white or black, uh, they will have no issue with someone having seen a ghost or a spirit, you know, yeah. because particularly if it's if it's of a relative. Uh, because yeah, that is yeah. somehow comforting and that is something that, you know, people want to talk about angels and this type of stuff. And, you know, the theology gets a little bit muddy on all of these things. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but but the theology, you know, I, I, I know I shouldn't go there, but I have to say it. You know, the theology of the believers that I grew up with, at least amongst white evangelicals, Donald Trump is not theologically sound, but they support him. Yeah, in what, yeah. It, I mean, 100% in the conversations with people that I dared have. So, <laughs> Right, right. So basically what it comes down to is that with all these paranormal events in the scriptures, if there's any paranormal event outside of the scriptures, it is demonic. Yeah, but even with that, there is a picking and choosing because, you know, if someone's dead grandmother turns up uh, at the foot of their bed one evening and they don't want to believe they were having a dream or a lucid dream or whatever, then they, it, you know, she must be an angel. Well, no, nah, I don't, I'm not finding that in any, I studied religion, I have a degree in it, I'm not finding that there. Um, right, I could right. just as easily say that you have been visited by a demon trying to trick you into believing things that are not doctrine. They're not theological. That's true. right. That's right. It's like, you know, easily. in The Exorcist, when, you know, uh, a Demi's uh, mother appears uh, to him during The Exorcist, that's a classic example of, you exactly. know, a, a, exactly. a relative being masked, uh, you know, by Satan uh, to um, sort of win your soul, so to speak. Um, you know, I, I wanted to mention to you, again, we've talked about this before, but I really want to uh, uh, let our listeners in on this. Uh, I am, as many people know, a, you know, a Lincoln aficionado. I, I've read everything about Lincoln, although there's a lot more to read. I was particularly struck, I think it was um, an article in The Atlantic maybe six months ago, that talked about when the WPA uh, in the 30s was collecting stories of um, ex-slaves and ex-slaves' children. One of the predominant stories that uh, they recorded was this belief that uh, during the Civil War that Abraham Lincoln would come down to the South dressed as a beggar and check in to see how they were doing and let them know that they would soon be free. Now what's so exceptional about this is the geographical diversity of the telling of this story. I mean, you have the South Carolina Gula Islands, you have a report of this, Mississippi, uh, Georgia. The, 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 the prevalence of this story, I think there's almost 30 stories that tell this tale um, that it's so A, consistent, and B, it is, um, you know, geographically diverse. I'm astounded. Some things happened. Paranormal, I believe, to give birth to this, this, this lore. Yeah, I mean, I, I have also, uh, some of the writing that I do uh, requires me to take, a, and it's fun to do as well, but it requires me to take a look at folklore, and I, I'm familiar with those stories, a variance of those story as well, and yeah, I don't know what happened, but I do know that oral history is a very powerful thing, and I think that there is a lot of 
truth in oral history. So I cannot say that people were experiencing, you know, visitation from Lincoln, but I can say that if so many people believed it was happening, that it gave some type of power to the experience or some validity to the collective experience they were having. But yeah. on the other hand, I mean, there's so much we don't know. There's so much we don't know. And I, one of my best friends growing up, and he's still a close friend, is a, is a scientist. He's an organic chemist. And I'm always telling him, you know, we know nothing, which isn't literally true, but I think it's almost true. We know, yeah, we know, I, I would we know. agree. I would agree. So, I mean, the thing is that people, if, I, I, I would not sit here and say that, you know, collectively a people have not manifested something. I, I can't say that. Yeah. I can't yeah. prove it, but I can't say it didn't happen. And in any case, it was a powerful emotional thing that got people to the next stage of where they needed to be. So it's having value even in that. Um, I'm a big proponent. I mean, this is not ancient history, but I'm a big proponent. And, you know, look at stories and just take them at face value and then break them down in, in, in our modern mind. And, and you might find some nuggets. You know, we can't accept the ridiculous, the fantastic as being something that, although people could say what I saw was fantastic. But, we, but generally, you, you, we need to have our minds open, but not so open that everything falls out. But I do believe in taking stories at face value first and then breaking them down instead of automatically just dismissing them. Because I think we yeah. then miss some of the stuff that we need to know about the experiences people were having. Absolutely true. And I think in America particularly, there is this really suffocating duality. Something's true or it's not. You know, it, it absolutely is, is sort of this, this, ironically, black and white sort of vision of... Um, whether something is real or not. And, you know, what you said about not knowing everything, as Shane and I have been, you know, ghost hunting for the last three or four years, in our experience, we've had some amazing paranormal experiences. But what those experiences have led us to is not a concrete belief in ghosts. What it has led us to say is, you know, there's something there, but we don't know what it is. We know enough now to know that we don't know. And, and that's a whole kind of other opening of the mind. And if we could start to have experiences where, like you said, take them at face value, they don't, everything doesn't have to be explained and everything cannot be explained. So that really opening, and we've done that as, as sort of, you know, uh, paranormal researchers, just opened our mind to the experience without necessarily having to have it explained away. Yeah. I. And I think I was lucky in a lot of ways because uh, growing up when and where I did, I was taught or told certain things that I just took at face value. So, you know, if someone says something that makes absolutely no sense, often dealing with some type of prophecy or maybe certain situations where a doctor says X about a particular person, but the wise old aunt says no it's this and it makes no sense it literally makes no sense but you just yeah. accept it and it turns out she's right and i've got a thousand not a thousand but i've got a hundred of these type stories not just about her but in general i yeah. can't explain yeah. that but but, yeah. but similar to what you and shane are talking about with ghosts i have no idea what i saw i am only saying i saw something i would like to know what it was and if I'm yeah. to believe what the New York Times and other news outlets have been reporting over the last couple of years, so would the U.S. government. 
So we're right. all in the same boat. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I don't. I'm not telling people that. Oh, that I saw aliens. I'm not telling people. Oh, I saw. Uh, you know, some spirits or whatever. I have absolutely no idea. The one thing I know for certain is I saw something. So yeah, and it opens my mind. Same with you and Shane and, and the ghost hunting. Uh, yeah. I, I would like to know, but I don't have the expectation that I'm ever really going to know. But that doesn't mean that you don't try to find out. Yes, yes. And you know, it's uh, I, I recently back in the spring I saw uh, Tanahisi Coates uh, speak at Ohio State University, and I was really mm-hmm. struck by something he said. And again, his latest book, Water Dancer, is is absolutely sort of paranormal black folklore, by the way. But he was talking about something. He said one of, one of the things he thought was uh, that had really changed his life was we always hear about the power of no or the power of saying yes. He said, I realized finally, um, particularly as an intellectual, that, you know what, it's okay for me to say I don't know. And he said, I found a great power in just when somebody asked me a question, I always felt like I had to have the answer. Well, you know what? I really freed myself by giving myself the liberty to say, you know what? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a scary thing, though. Uh, you know, I think we have to learn that in different aspects of our lives, you know, in whatever our careers might be, but also just on a, on a, uh, a, a personal level. Now, it's interesting you say that. I, I was trying to encourage someone who thinks she's going to have a difficult year. And I said, you know, I know everything is going to be okay. And she said, actually, you don't, and neither do I, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. but it's also yeah. scary. It's also scary. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, so if we're, we're going back to your original um, uh, uh, theme of the essay, and I've been thinking about this. Um, essentially, the Me Too movement is really also just a demand to believe, to be believed. So this is a gender issue and not a race issue, but I think the same systemic inequality applies. I mean, men are much more likely to be believed than a woman, except of course for a black man. But I think it's really the same sort of marginalization of belief that's sort of fighting back now and saying, you know, believe me, I'm telling the truth. And and the, the very foundation of the Me Too movement is about being believed. Yeah. And uh and this is there is so much power in being believed, but there's so much power in not being believed in a negative way. And that's exactly yeah. what it's about. And I, I myself, you know, I view myself as a pretty open minded, progressive person. But I have learned a lot as well with the Me Too movement, because. You know, if, if I, I'd like to believe and I'm pretty sure I'm not the per, a person who's going to be on the wrong side of, of those type of accusations. But mm-hmm. women do, and not just women, but we'll, we'll talk about women here. They do experience stuff that even I was not aware of. And this is why I have to have an open mind about people not believing me either, because some of this stuff is so subtle, I wouldn't have a clue. But it, it, it is the core of do you believe it? And yeah. yeah, often when it's a woman making an accusation, She's not believed. And I am, you know, sometimes even being a black guy, I'm sometimes, you know, finding myself in the middle of people having all men having conversations about why women say these things and why they shouldn't be believed. And no one, you know, 
let me put it this way. Every woman that's accusing Bill Cosby, every woman that's accusing, I don't know, R. Kelly, take Weinstein, not one, even Trump, not all of them are telling the truth. But most, if not almost all of them, are telling the truth. And there's very little value in com coming out of making accusations that are just going to make your life miserable. Right, that, right. I mean, if it, I mean, why would you do this? Unless you are, you know, playing on a different, you know, you're playing a whole different game. That, I think, yeah. is very, very rare. Yeah, and it's, it goes back to the same thing. Why would you tell people about your belief you saw a UFO only to invite skepticism? Why would you do that? Why, there, there's no, what's the agenda to making something like this up? You, it's not like you gain anything from your belief that you saw a UFO, at least not socially. <laughs> Yeah, there's, you know? there's, there's, there's the, the only, uh, if, if you're a person, if you're a curious person who wants to know stuff, even if you don't have the expectation that you're ever going to fully know, it, it, th there, there's a value in having conversations with people who are willing to have them. But other than that, no, there's no real upside. And in fact, and this <laughs> is the truth. This is the truth. I really wish I had not seeing what I saw. I really do yeah. because it would yeah. saved me so much time and <laughs> aggravation <laughs> oh. over these years because yeah. there are so many books, there are so many things that I've watched, so many conversations I've had that, you know, I could have just been reading a nice novel, but the, the question <laughs> burns. You need to know. Yeah. You, I, mean, yeah. I mean, what you saw is paradigm shattering for your belief system. Right. Yeah, you can never go back after that. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I will tell you, you know, what you've really brought home to Shane and I is, is, you know, the words, I believe you, you know, the power of those words and particularly the empowerment of those words, the transcendence and transformation that the words, I believe you can have to the witness. Um, and I find it really fascinating and, and, and really, I think your optimism shows through a little bit, if I might be as bold to say that, when you start and end your essay with those very words from your father, I believe you. Yeah, I'm an, I'm an eternal optimist. This is, this is a <laughs> part of my nature. I think that's also, I mean, something in African-American culture, and it often is against all reason and logic, but it is, but it is what it is. And yeah, uh, it is a powerful thing for your father to say they believe you when you know that this is not something within his normal system of belief. And, and, and just as powerful when you hear it from people who you don't expect to hear it from. Yeah. Well, uh, um, Chris, let me tell you officially um, and on the record that Shane and I believe you. So I want you to know that we, we truly do. And um, we're just thrilled to get to talk to you. And we're really thrilled that this podcast will no doubt uh, bring people to your work and your article to further this conversation. So um, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate that, that you guys believe me because it's just one step further. Like I said, maybe we never get there, but the effort is there's value in the effort. Maybe one day we'll all understand stuff better. Very well said. All right, Chris, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, thank you. Thank you. The power of belief. The power of the words, I believe you. They find a unique companion in the paranormal. 
and supernatural. We have a desire for our experiences to be validated, to be believed. Whether it is seeing a UFO, a glimpse of what haunts and bumps in the night, or people of color explaining their experiences with systemic racism, if these fields of unexplainable phenomena are to progress forward, those with power, influence, and a seat at the table must continuously reflect on their own biases and ensure that the spheres of influence are actually representative of all experiences. If you believe this conversation and these statements have broader societal implications, it's because it does and they do. Those who are believed must ensure that those who aren't, people of color, women, LGBTQ folks, are heard and believed, no matter the topic. You can find Chris Blake's article on terraobscura.net and engage in further discussion with Chris on his Twitter, at Chris3LB. We'll also share the article and how to contact him on our Facebook and Twitter. If you enjoy the Q Files, tell your friends and leave a review. This show was created and produced by me, Shane McClelland, and Lori Gum. Until next time, friends, be weird, stay curious. These are the Q Files. <laughs>